Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And on today's podcast, we are breaking down the NCAA tournament from the women's standpoint, who also has made the NCAA tournament with an at-large bid, almost the same seed the, as the men. Uh, the women received on Monday afternoon, Monday evening, a six seed. And they will be heading now down to San Antonio. The entire women's tournament is held this year in San Antonio, much like how the men are doing it in Indianapolis. One location, eliminate all the travel, COVID protocols, kind of create a mini bubble. And Eric, there's, uh, there was, uh, for me, and this feels right, like, right, you, you told me off the air yesterday, this is right around where they were pegged. Um, to be seated as a six seed. I was curious if they maybe get a five because of the the love for the Pac-12 because the league is pretty good. Um, maybe they dip down to a seven, uh, but nonetheless, a six and kind of right where they were pegged throughout the last week or so, right? Yeah, I think this is legitimately like I kind of went in thinking there'll be a six seed and of course was kind of wary of maybe a seven I thought I, th- I think six seemed like at the cap of where they could go because you kind of looked at well just the way they finished the season losing five to six games or one win is against USC and, and albeit it was like a 20 point win but it, USC is not in the field and, and this is a team that just hasn't really beaten too many t- tournament teams like it's kind of an, I mean like just a couple of thoughts here just off the cuff of like First off, it's kind of crazy the way, you know, comparing, contrasting. I know it's different. There's a lot of different factors, but the way the men finish their season and they're a seven seed and the way the women finish their season and they're a six seed, it's kind of kind of comical almost in terms of like, this is a women's team that really, really struggled over the course of the last two and a half or so months. And this is a men's team, which really picked it up. And, uh, you know, both teams didn't have a ton of success in the conference tournament, but I, I did find it kind of interesting that, you know, the Oregon men win the regular season and, uh, win a rattle off a ton of wins late and the Oregon women kind of do the exact opposite. And yet the women end up in a better spot. And I, and, and, and you know, the big, the big thing here is for the women, um, you know, for this team is that they played a lot of really good teams, teams that were well seated in the tournament. Pac-12 got 16 teams in um, Oregon played seven total teams, including UC Davis. Their only wins were over Oregon state. Who was a nine? Sorry, who was an eight seed? Washington State was a nine seed, and UC Davis was a twelve. They lost all the games. Lost eight of their games this season. They all came to teams in the tournament, but they only beat one of the teams that was like in the top eight seed lines. And that was Oregon State back in December. Like since since basically the turn of the calendar, they haven't beaten anybody that's like really that impressive. So I, their their resume is boosted by the fact that they played a lot of good teams, but they didn't really beat any of them. So. It's kind of they enter this tournament in a really kind of a strange spot here where I think you allow yourself to get a little bit of optimism that they can maybe pull off a win or two, but you also go like the reality is they just haven't beaten much of anybody for a couple of months now. And to expect them to come into this and with we'll talk about Tahina Pow Pow and her availability, but like I, I think it's kind of the seed line feels about right. I just don't know if I expect they'll be in the tournament very long. I'll put it that way. It's an interesting year. It's been a difficult year for the women. Um, I, I think your your assumption or your statement about how that they're similarly ranked, the men and the women, and yet they're coming off two different runs, I think that speaks volumes to the perceptions of the two leagues and each 
men's and women's side of basketball, the men's side, you know, there's probably not a lot of uh, respect towards, you know, the depth of the league. There's some good teams on the men's side, but I, I think the committee made it pretty evident that they didn't think that, you know, the, the teams that didn't make the tournament were very good. Whereas the women's side, I mean, the, the Ducks have lost, what, like five of their last six, and they're yep. a six seed. You, you mentioned how they haven't really beaten any of the good teams within the league, but the league is so deep and so talented. Like the, the top half is so good. The middle half is so good that they still get a ton of respect for playing in that league. So I think that's going to be from a women's perspective, really interesting to see of how good is the PAC 12 against the rest of the country. And were we overreacting because Oregon can't beat these can't beat UCLA, can't beat Stanford, can't beat Arizona because maybe those teams are just super good. And Oregon still is a, a, a team capable of making a sweet, you know, sweet 16 or what have you. Um, maybe that's the case. I don't know. Or maybe Oregon is just isn't had, hasn't had the year that we were hoping. And they're maybe, you know, behind the eight ball a little bit here. Um, South Dakota, let's look at this game first. They play Monday night, 7 p.m. Game will be broadcast on ESPN, too. So Duck fans can exhale a little bit, knowing that they get the entire day to wait. From the men's side, they play at like 6.57 p.m. on Saturday. And then on Monday, you don't have to worry about, you know, skipping work early or, or you know, watching part of the game on your lunch break and then missing it. Uh, they play at seven o'clock. So you've got plenty of time to get home, watch the game. South Dakota, what, what do we know about South Dakota? And to me, my first reaction, Eric, we talked about it off there yesterday when it got announced was this probably wasn't the team I, I would want to face because they're, they're first glance, they're a conference champion team, mid-major, which historically both men and women's side, those teams are experienced. Now you had a little bit of a different take um, on on this. What, what what's your thought on the South Dakota matchup? Well, I've done so. I've done a little bit of a deep dive even since. And and here's what I'll say: is this is a this is a program that's extremely successful over the last couple of years. They were thirty and two in 2019-20, undefeated in, in the Summit League, won the conference tournament. Probably were going to be like a four or a five seed in last year's NCAA tournament. A couple of their players did leave. Um, a couple key players. So. It's not quite the exact same squad. And this year's team, it's interesting looking at their resume because they do have two – they've lost five games. They're 19-5. and five. Two of the losses come to teams in the field. The other three come to teams not in the field. Um, one of those losses was a pretty close loss to South Carolina, one of the number one seeds. Another was another close loss to Gonzaga, who's a five seed. They also lost to Oklahoma and were swept by South Dakota State this year. Um, they've won nine straight games. Uh, including all of their games in the conference tournament. They won all those games by 20 or more points. So this is a team, if you just want to look at it from a purely what they've done on the court perspective, this is a much harder team than Oregon is. I don't think there's any question about it. Now, the question to me, for me is like, I actually, you know, I think I look at this and think they're, this is not a bad matchup. Um, <clears throat> I was surprised looking at some of the shooting splits for South, for South Dakota. This is not a good three-point shooting team. Oregon is actually better from three. This has not been a good shooting team from an Oregon perspective, at least based upon what we were anticipating. Um, but I think, you know, I think of the teams that have given Oregon difficulty this year, 
and they're typically this is they're, and they're, they're, we should say their three starting their three top scorers are all seniors. Uh, they have three players who average over 15 points a game or right around 15 and they're all seniors. So this is an experienced team. So I think there's something to be said there, but like, I look at this and think at least it's my, my preference would be if you're Oregon and just having seen the teams that have given them difficulty this year. And again, that's been UCLA, Stanford, um, Arizona, and then Oregon state, Oregon state's a little bit, maybe Oregon state's closer to South Dakota than, than the other three. But like, I think the teams that really put it to Oregon have been long rangy athletic teams. And South Dakota is absolutely not that. They're very undersized. Their center is six foot three. Their backcourt's all sub six foot. Uh, again, not a great three-point shooting team. I, I look at this and think like maybe this is not the worst matchup because what, where Oregon has struggled is when teams really put pressure on the ball um, and they are able to get out and, and wreak havoc in the backcourt and, and pressure Oregon and, and, for, and you know, just kind of out-athlete them. Because this is not a very athletic Oregon team. And, you know, under Kelly Graves, it's not really been the trademark of these teams. Sure, they've had the Satu Sabalis, who are, who are really athletic. I think Sabrina Ionescu is a very athletic player. But, like, for the most part, like, they went on the court. And probably against the elite competition, the Pac-12 were, were not the most more athletic team. In South Dakota, it's probably they probably have the edge. Um, and they certainly have the size advantage. And I think the fact that they don't have the – elite guard stopper and we should note that their center was the defensive player of the year in their conference averages a little over two blocks per game so it's not like they don't have rim protection but she's only six three um but i look at them and think at least they're not going to be able to just get up under whoever the point guard is for oregon i say whoever it is because i think it's like a combination of taylor mike Sell and maddie Shear at this point um because tahina pow pow is not playing until april kelly graves said so they have to basically get through that's not maybe, good. Maybe it may be into the, maybe they get into the second weekend and she's able to play. I mean, you look at the dates there and it, it becomes like the turn of the calendar right around when they're playing their, their, their second game of the second weekend. But like right. more than likely, like this is, uh, it's unrealistic they have her. So like, I think I, I look at this and think, I think it's a, not a terrible first round matchup with South Dakota. I think it could be worse. At the same time, I also go like, Oregon hasn't really beaten anybody of consequence in a really long time. Like the last significant win they had was over, Washington State, and that was back in February, like early February. Actually, that was back in January. I'm sorry. So, like, I, I don't, I, 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 like, I think this is not a terrible matchup, but I also think, like, I think just expectations have to be pretty, pretty much open to whatever happens here for this team, considering the way they play down the stretch and the fact they don't have pow pow. Potential matchups later on if they get past South Dakota. Um, they could play Georgia, who's a three seed. They could play 14 seed in Drexel if, if that's an upset. Uh, potential games against number two seed Louisville or uh, a number seven Northwestern or number 10 UCF. Certainly going to be interesting to see how far this team goes. They're in the same bracket as the number one seed Stanford. Um, maybe we see a Pac-12 meeting there in the Elite Eight. We'll see. Uh, but nonetheless, the, the women are in the tournament, and this is the last go-round for a couple of seniors, Lydia Giomi and also Aaron Boley. Um, curious to see how much of that factors into kind of the sense of urgency we get with this team. You mentioned no Tahina Pow Pow to start things off. Do we get maybe a, a last ride for Aaron Boley and Lydia Giomi, you know, two players who've been instrumental the last three or four years into the rise of this program, and they don't maybe want to go out with a one and done showing? Uh, I, I, I would I would hope they're motivated. I'm sure they will be. Um, 
at, at the same time, like I, like Bully, Bully will come into factor how they play in this tournament. I don't think there's any question. She's one of their more valuable players. Certainly, if she can shoot the ball the way she had in previous years in the tournament, because she hasn't been herself from three point range this year at all. She's about shooting about eight to ten percentage points below her her career numbers at Oregon. Especially think back to her her first season a couple of years ago during the Final Four run. She was really a difference maker from three and kind of the last two seasons haven't quite been that way. But like if she, if she can get it going, that would be huge. I, I, I think it really like Lydia Giomi is probably going to play a handful of minutes in these games. And, you know, maybe if it's uncompetitive one way or the other, she'll, they'll, they'll play her more just to have her kind of senior hurrah moment or whatnot. But like, right. I, I, this to me comes down to the players who just haven't played in NCAA tournament games. This is one of the things that's kind of interesting is you think about Oregon, you go, oh, they've been in all these big tournament runs. Well, Taylor Chavez was hurt during the final four run. And obviously they didn't have a tournament last year. Same thing for jazz Shelley. She didn't play last year. The rest of the roster aside from bully and Xiaomi has not played at yeah. Oregon in a tournament. So like, this is not a team that's experienced there. Tyler Mike still played a little bit at Maryland um, the last couple of years. So she's also experienced, but like, this is a team that like, you think on paper, you look at Oregon and go like, Oh, they've got all this NCAA tournament experience on the roster up and down it. Cause the teams have been so good, but that's just like kind of not the case. It's such a, you know, kind of a, a new um, inexperienced team. So like, there is not a real sense of like, these girls have all been there before. And I think South Dakota has a, bit of an eh, maybe not an edge because i think they've got about even in terms of NCAA tournament experience but certainly not a thing where oregon comes in as oh the, the the big time program and all the players have been playing in all these big games and you could argue the conference games against stanford you say in arizona are probably not probably i think those are significantly better teams than basically anyone south dakota's played aside from south carolina and, and maybe gonzaga but so like that that advantage is kind of nullified too. So like I I look to and, and Kelly Graves pointed to three players he thought were pivotal for this. He said Niara Sabali, Aaron Bully, and then Sedona Prince. Those three, and I I would add like they need to get better guard play. Period. Like that was something that really stood out the last couple of weeks. Is when you know last couple of games I should say when Pow Pow was out of the lineup. You know there just wasn't a whole lot of offensive firepower out of the backcourt, and I think that's something that's a little surprising given what we thought of this team coming into the year where we thought they almost had too many good guards. And, you know, I think that's something that, you know, we'll do it. I'm sure we'll do some look ahead podcasts this off season. I'll probably try to get Kelly Graves on to chat about kind of his perception of this roster going forward. But I think one of the things that to me has been and entering the tournament, certainly the case is just like, I felt like this team had almost too many good guards and it almost feels like the opposite now of, we thought Taylor Chavez. And Jess, yeah, I mean, we thought Taylor Chavez and Jess Shelley were going to step up and, and be these kind of veteran presences at guard, and neither of them have been very good. And, and we thought, you know, some of these freshmen would be really good. And Tahina Pow Pow was, she's all conference player, but she's hurt now. And neither Maddie Shear or Sydney Parrish are very consistent. And Parrish has been better offensively, Shear has been better defensively. And then Mike still has been up and down too. So it's like, you go into the tournament and in the backcourt, there's just like not anyone I point to and say like they can lean upon player X. So they need to get better play to the backcourt. I think in the front court, that should be an area they can have some success against South Dakota. They're going to have the size advantage and, and, and probably a little bit of an athleticism advantage um, against the Coyotes. But we'll see. I, mean, I, I think the South Dakota matchup reminds me a little bit of UC Davis, which is a team Oregon beat earlier Um in the, month of, in the month of February, it was a makeup game that was scheduled. It was like a pretty close game. Oregon won by, I think, six. But I, I look at that matchup and think maybe that's a similar team. The two teams that have been pretty experienced, a lot of success at smaller college level, but don't have the athletes necessary to, to challenge Oregon in the way that 
a team like Georgia would, or certainly, you know, a step further Louisville and into Stanford, those sort of teams challenge Oregon differently than South Dakota. From a men's perspective, we're, we're talking about the legitimacy of how, if this team comes out hot, they could make a run to the elite eight. They could make a deep run to that second week of the tournament. Um, what, what's, what's it going to take for this women's team to make a run? Like, how do they do that? If, if, if they get to the second week of the tournament, they make the sweet 16, they make the elite eight. Why, what, what transpired in the first two games of the tournament um, to get them there, to, to propel them there? Three point shooting has got to be better. Um, I think three point shooting offense and defense, they have to make some threes um, and they have to defend three point line. I said, South Dakota is not a great three point shooting team, but their second leading scorer is a really good three point shooter. Chloe Lamb, she's like 45%, one of the better shooters in her conference. They can't let her get going. Other than her, honestly, like I, I was pretty stunned because the comment that Kelly Graves made to open the podcast or the podcast, the interviews on, on Monday was that they had played South Dakota in the WNIT semifinals like six years ago, and they had hit, and South Dakota hit 15 of 21 from three, and they, South Dakota won that game by 30 points. And I kind of went in thinking, oh, this could be a, a, a team that's just going to shoot the crap out of the ball. And that's not a great matchup. But you look at it, and it's basically Lamb's a great shooter. Um, Corn and Gable is their second, the third leading scorer. She's decent out there. Everyone else is pretty, pretty, pretty mediocre to bad from three. So if they can stop them from getting going, I think that's big. And then I guess two other things are, would be establish that inside presence. I think they have the advantage with Sabali and Prince. One or both of those players needs to play well. And then, you know, they just need to get something out of the backcourt. Um, they have to get more consistent play there. I don't think they're going to be challenged, you know, in the backcourt from a defensive perspective, the way they would be by some of these more athletic teams. But still, you have basically people playing out of position right now because Pow Pow was the traditional point guard. She was the one who brought the ball to the court. She was the initiator of the offense. She's not going to be there for this game um, or for any of the opening games. And for them to make a run, they need to, have something some stability at that position at point guard and honestly uh, just all the you know at the off guard positions too i mean that, that's been like i said a second ago i think if you if you kind of look at what's been the most disappointing thing in this team it's just been that we thought there were so many good guards and they just haven't played like that who's the wild card you feel like for the for the team Give me like Taylor Chavez or Sydney Parrish like w- one of those two like you know i think Chavez in the past has obviously shown she can Fill it up, score the ball. Uh, Parrish does the same thing. Like maybe, maybe, maybe they just get one of those two to have a big couple games, and they get hot and they hit some threes and they change the game. We just haven't seen it yet. You know, I think it's the thing that's sort of been perplexing because I, I think I felt between, I felt like you know going into this season, I felt like there was going to be at least a couple of these guards that averaged close to double figures. And the reality is, is Pow Pow averaged double figures and Mike sells close, but like no one else is, is really even in that stratosphere. And I guess, you know, there was only so many minutes to be played, but like I, I had anticipated one of those couple of, you know, someone like someone like a Taylor Chavez was going to have a big season here and, and be a vital part. And she just hasn't. So I'd say her. And I think I put Sydney Parrish in there because she has shown at times this season to be kind of a microwave scorer off the bench. She had a couple of big scoring games against the against Washington. And then, um, he had a big, big shooting game. I think it was against Stanford the second time that kind of kept them around. So I, I look at someone like I, I look at those type of players. I, I, I think you can feel pretty. I feel pretty confident you're going to get good production from Sobley in the post. And I think Bully will will play 
to like her better parts of her averages just because it's her last go. But they're probably going to need somebody just to step up and, and fill it up from, from a scoring perspective that just hasn't done it consistently so far this year. The women will play at 7 o'clock on Monday against 11 seed South Dakota. Winner advances to take on the winner of the three seed against Georgia Drexel. Three seed is Georgia Drexel is the 14 seed. We'll see if Oregon can make a run. Um, it's been an exciting time in March for the women's program the last couple of seasons. We'll see if they can capture that as well. Uh, you can read all of Eric's work on duckterritory.com. You can check out his full tournament coverage there. We'll have more discussion of the women's tournament as it plays out here on the podcast as well. And until then, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.